Brothers and sisters in Christ, let us open together in God's Word to Revelation chapter 15. Revelation 15, as we continue this study here through the book of Revelation. As we begin this morning, I want us to consider the reality of war in this world. Because when we think of war, rarely are the sides of the battle against each other equal, right? So over time, the side with the greater army and with the more advanced technology and weaponry will usually emerge victorious. Yet we also have all known of times where smaller and disadvantaged sides will overcome the odds and emerge victorious. Because we usually like to root for the underdogs, these victories inspire us when we read about them in history books, when we go and visit the historical sites where these battles have taken place, and when we watch movies that are based on the conflicts where they overcome the odds that are against them. But brothers and sisters in Christ, whatever you may think about wars that take place in this world, as followers of Christ, we too are all at war. We're in a spiritual war. And I don't think it takes living a Christian life very long before we can often feel like the odds against us are impossible. What hope then do we have of emerging victorious? Well, it's through these words of Revelation 15 that we find our hope. So let us then read together this chapter. It's only eight verses, okay? But let us read together then Revelation 15 this morning. Where the Apostle John writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, Seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who have the victory over the beast, over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass having harps of God. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you. For your judgments have been manifested. And after these things I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. And out of the temple came the seven angels, having the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen, and having their chests girded with golden bands. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. The temple 
was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Brothers and sisters, before we continue, let us once more come to the throne of God in prayer. Let us pray. Father, I may not know the situation and the struggles that everyone here is facing, but you do. Which is why we pray that your word, Father, will take hold in our hearts and will renew our very minds so that we can live by faith in Christ through whatever we are facing in this world. So Lord, may Christ be magnified this morning through your word as it is preached, as your spirit works among us to show us the glories of our Savior through this message of revelation. So Father, we pray that there will be no one here who will leave without the reverence and awe that comes from worshiping you and knowing Jesus Christ as Savior. We pray then your word will have its work among each and every one here and ask these things in the name of our glorious Savior and King, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, may we receive this hope in the midst of our struggles and suffering that Christ's church will emerge victorious when God's judgment comes. Our, brothers and sisters, our church the church of Christ will emerge victorious when God's judgment comes. And we see this first in this chapter as we read of God's conquering people in verses 1 to 4. But then we also see this secondly through God's condemning plagues in verses 5 to 8. So there's God's conquering people in the first half of the chapter, followed by God's condemning plagues in the second half of the chapter. So let's begin verses 1 to 4, where we read of God's conquering people. And of course, the Apostle John has been recording these symbolic visions of prophecy that he's received from God so that Christ's churches will be encouraged as we struggle and suffer in this present evil age. Because in this world, followers of Christ will have tribulation. And the time will come when this persecution will intensify with the dragon Satan releasing two beasts that make war against Christ's church and overcome us. Together then, they make up this unholy trinity of Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophets who deceive those dwelling on the earth 
in bringing together the government and, and business and economic and religious authorities all to oppose and oppress Christ's church. Which is why they will follow the Antichrist. And they will worship his image as they receive his mark in the number of his name. Yet Christ has redeemed a people who will not receive the mark of the beast or worship him because they have been sealed with his Father's name and will stand with Christ and the Lamb, who is the Lamb, when he comes in judgment at the end of this age to reap a harvest and purify God's kingdom. So this brings us then to chapter 15, where John sees another sign in heaven. Do you remember where the first signs were found? Back in chapter 12. When a pregnant woman who represented God's people appeared as a great sign, which is then followed by another sign of a great fiery red dragon, who of course is Satan. And this Satan then makes war against the woman. Which is why when we come to this sign in chapter 15, it is great and marvelous because God is finally bringing this great conflict to a close. Which then brings great rejoicing from God's people. So what is this third sign that brings an end to the conflict from the first two? Well, the sign are seven angels with seven last plagues. And as we've seen throughout the book, what does, this, what does the number seven symbolize? But fullness or completeness or perfection. So here, John sees these seven last plagues because in them the wrath of God is complete. Those on earth have been warned that God's wrath is coming against them for their sinfulness and their hatred of God and his people. And so it's through these plagues then that his wrath is finally poured out against them. This is why the Apostle Paul warns then in Romans chapter 2, verses 5 to 6, But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds. So here we have those who are living on the earth with their hardness and impenitent heart who've treasured up for themselves wrath in the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Because he will come in judgment and render to each one according to his deeds. But after John sees this sign in heaven, he then sees something like a sea of glass, which in chapter 4, we read, was before the very throne of God in his heavenly temple. This glass reveals a division between God and his awesome majesty and creation that is then separate from him in this world. 
But now we see that the sea of glass is mingled with fire, which is an expression of God's judgment against humanity and this sin-cursed and corrupt world. But look who's standing before God on his heavenly throne in the sea of glass. It's Christ's church. We are those who have victory over our battle or in our battle against the beast. And this victory includes his image, his mark, and the number of his name, which together describe the evil empire that will one day rise against us. Brothers and sisters, don't forget how we will conquer this satanic opposition. Because the answer was already given back in chapter 12, where the first two signs were found. In verse 11, listen again to that verse. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. So do you see that while the Antichrist may have seemed to have victory over us in this world, that his war against us will not be successful. Because Christ has already won our victory through his blood, which was shed for us on the cross. And in his resurrection from the dead, where he ascended to heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father, which is where we will then live eternally in God's presence. So listen, the Antichrist deception, however forceful it may be, will not stop Christ's church. And his persecution, however intense it may become, will not stop Christ's church. Even his killing in martyrdom believers in Christ, however many this may be, will not stop Christ's church. But we will persevere and conquer in victory. So look then at all we have to look forward to. That Christ's church will stand victorious before God's throne in heaven where we will then have harps together with the angels of heaven to worship him in our vindication over all the powers of the world that oppose us. How else then can we respond to this glorious future as God's conquering people but by singing his praise? You know, it's so often through the singing of songs that our emotions are moved. And our hearts are rejoicing in our Savior. Which is why we'll be singing then on this day. And what song will we sing? Well, here it's the song of Moses, who is the servant of God. And the song was originally recorded back in Exodus chapter 15 and Deuteronomy chapter 32. But what's significant is when this song was given to God's people by Moses. You see, God had set his people Israel free from their slavery in Egypt through what? 
plagues. Ten plagues. And then he brought them through the waters of the Red Sea before the waters then came back on their enemies and drowned them in the judgment of God. It was then that Moses gave them a song to sing because it was a song of victory that they would then rejoice in. So Moses gives this song to Israel to sing to the Lord in celebration victory. Here then in Revelation, we see that Christ's church is the greater Israel who's been set free from our slavery to sin in this world and we will be delivered from God's wrath in his judgment against this world. So Moses' song of victory over their enemies becomes our song of victory over our enemies through the seven plagues that will be poured out at the end of this age. Which is why our song, or this song of Moses, is also called the song of the Lamb and becomes our song. Because Christ is our Lamb the one who sacrificed himself on the cross to save us from the judgment of God we deserve for our sin, and he reconciles us with God by taking our place and paying our punishment as our substitute. This then is the Lamb who we sing praises of victory through which is why when we come to verses 3 to 4, we read what the saints will sing in celebration of our triumph because of the Lamb's redeeming work and His coming judgment. What beautiful words we have here in the song of praise to God, which frankly brings together far more Old Testament language than I could possibly have time to consider here this morning. But in this song, we see that God is praised for both his works and his ways. For what God does in bringing justice to this world and for his purposes in bringing human history to a close in judgment. That's why we praise him as the Lord God Almighty, which is the main title of God that is found here in the book of Revelation. Describing his sovereignty and power over his creation. But we also call him king of the saints or nations. Because he is the king over his kingdom. And we belong to his kingdom as saints redeemed by Christ from every nation of the world. Which then brings us to ask the question, who shall not fear you and glorify your name? And Moses asked this question in Exodus 15, verse 11, when they sing, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Which is why the prophet Jeremiah then later draws on this in Jeremiah 10, verse 7, when he asks, Who would not fear you, O king of the nations? For this is your rightful due. For among all the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. That's why all of the nations will fear and glorify the name of God. 
with a fear and uh, of, of reverence and submission as we bow before God and worship Him in all of His glory. Why then? But why? We fear and glorify the Lord. Well, three reasons are given in this song. First, because God alone is holy. That He has no rivals. Whatever false gods the nations may worship, or whatever the coming Antichrist may claim of himself. He alone is holy. But second, nations will fear God and glorify His name because all nations will come and worship before God. That Christ has redeemed God's people from all nations. And so all nations will then join together as one in worshiping God. Well, there's a third reason that's given in this song. We'll not that we'll fear God and glorify His name. And that's because God's judgments have manifested. That God in His righteousness is the judge of the earth and His judgments will be manifested in the world. So as we've been carrying out this study and, and reading through and hearing the book of Revelation together, are you starting to see through the prophetic visions this theme that's running throughout? Yes, living in this world is hard. Yes, Christians can expect temptations and trials and troubles and tribulation in this world. But Christ has secured for us a glorious future in the age to come. Which is why we worship God for our salvation in Christ while we persevere through the days that God has given us, however difficult they may become. Because we are God's conquering people in Christ. But listen, we will conquer through God's condemning plagues, which we read as this chapter continues in verses 5 to 8. So we began by reading of God's conquering people, but now we come to God's condemning plagues. When John continues by writing what he sees next, which is the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven open. Now, it's interesting here to see how the temple and the tabernacle are brought together because they are both places where God dwelled among his people on earth, right? The temple was in the capital city of Jerusalem after Israel had inherited the promised land, while the tabernacle was a tent that moved with Israel in the wilderness while they waited to enter the promised land. But both the tabernacle and the temple housed the most holy place, or the Holy of Holies, which was the sacred place where the Ark of the Covenant was. And this Ark 
was the very throne of God for his people. Do you see then that these earthly places where God dwelled represent greater spiritual realities, which are revealed to us in this book, showing us that God is ruling over this world from the throne of his temple in heaven. But we saw this temple open before in Revelation. Chapter 11, verse 19, when Christ returns to establish God's kingdom. But here, the temple is open to prepare the way for God's kingdom to arrive through his judgments. So when the temple of the tabernacle is here opened in this vision, what do we see? The testimony from the Holy of Holies. And this testimony is the Ten Commandments, which were written on tablets of stone and stored inside the heavenly Ark of the Covenants. Because this testimony is God's moral law that was revealed in the Ten Commandments that exposes our sinfulness and that brings us under God's judgment for our disobedience. So when the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened, what was exposed? Through the law of God, mankind's sinfulness in the world. That all of humanity that is living in the world will come under the judgment of God. That when this time comes, all those dwelling on the earth will come under God's judgment for the rebellion against Him in sin and their refusal to submit to God's law in selfish stubbornness. And so... With the temple open and the testimony condemning those on the earth, the seven angels having the seven plagues come out of God's presence in heaven to carry out his will and pour out his judgment on the world. See, what God had originally warned his people about in the curses of his covenant with Israel will now take place against all those who remain in sinful rebellion against him. Listen to the warning that God gave Israel in Leviticus 26, verse 21. Then if you walk contrary to me and are not willing to obey me, I will bring on you seven times more plagues according to your sins. And of course, we think of plagues our minds again go back to Israel under their slavery in Egypt. The Egyptian plagues through which God delivers his people from their slavery by confronting Egypt with his greatness and the inferiority of their supposed gods. Do you see then how this will again happen? And it will happen worldwide. When the nations are confronted with God's greatness in the inferiority of their supposed gods. But what are these seven angels wearing? Well, they're wearing pure white linen with golden bands 
their chests, which is what we see Jesus wearing in the opening vision in chapter 1, verse 13, which means that these angels are representing Christ in executing His judgment on the world. Do you see then that Jesus is the Savior of God's people? He's also the judge of sinners, which is why he will send out his angels to gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness and will condemn them under the wrath of God. Now, as we consider then the book of Revelation as a whole, we see that through these visions, who are there among the throne of God in heaven? But four living creatures. These angelic beings who surround and possibly support God's throne. Well, here one of them steps forward to give these seven angels seven golden bulls full of the wrath of God. But you know, this is not the first time we've heard of golden bulls in the book of Revelation. We first read of these back in chapter 5, where golden bulls are full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints as they cry out to God for justice. Which an angel then brings these prayers of the saints before God's throne, when he offers them on the golden altar of the heavenly of the heavenly temple in chapter eight. So now these golden bulls are coming out of the temple and given to these angels as bulls of wrath, because they are God's answer to the prayers of Christ's church, as we cry out for justice as they bring God's judgment against our enemies and vindicate His name and His people from all that the sinful world has brought against us. So the seven plagues of the angels are then put into these seven bowls because through them the wrath of God will be poured out on the earth when this time of judgment comes. You see, this is what humanity's rebellion against God in sin will bring into this world. The wrath of God being poured out against His creation. And as we heard in the beginning of this chapter, it's in these plagues that the wrath of God will be complete. Because we see God is the one who lives forever and ever. That's why George Eldon Ladd comments on the end of verse 7 by saying the emphasis upon the eternity of God is a reminder that although evil may seem to dominate affairs in human history, God is the eternal one whose purposes cannot be frustrated even by satanic and demonic evil. So this world will come to an end. And the unholy trinity will be destroyed. Because God is eternal. And will continue reigning forever and ever as our king. 
So now that these bowls are filled with the wrath of God, we see the temple itself is filled with smoke. And the smoke comes from the glory of God and His power. And the smoke symbolized the presence of God to His people in the Old Testament. Which is why there was a cloud of smoke on Mount Sinai when Moses met with God. And why Israel was led through the wilderness by a pillar of fire and cloud. But it's when the glory of the Lord fills the tabernacle through a cloud in Exodus 40, and where the glory of the Lord fills the temple through a cloud in 1 Kings 8, that we see this smoke overwhelming the place where God would dwell with his people. And it's when the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle and temple that no one could enter. This is true when the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle and Moses could not enter the tabernacle. It's where the glory of the Lord filled the temple and the priests could not continue ministering in the temple. Well, here we see the same is true in this heavenly temple where no one can enter until the seven plagues of the seven angels are completed. That no one can come near to God in his glory until his plagues are finished and his judgment is completed where he purifies his kingdom for the world to come. So brothers and sisters and all who are here this morning, as we read once more of the wrath of God that will one day be complete, listen, our hope is found in this, that today the wrath of God is not complete. But this is a day where the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ is offered to all who repent of your sin, receive Christ as your Savior. Because Christ is the one who in love offers himself as the Lamb to take upon himself the wrath we deserve so that we are then those who no longer will face this judgment of wrath but we'll look forward to this deliverance through the judgment to come by Christ's grace. But outside of Christ, if you have not been saved by the blood of Christ, you will be condemned under the judgment of God. So today, turn to Christ repenting of your sins and trusting in the one who died on the cross under the wrath of God for sinners. You too can share in the joy that is to come and the victory that we will receive at the end of this age. Well, come to Christ today before 
the wrath of God is complete at the end of the age. We do not know how much longer we have in this world. We do know this. In Christ, there is eternal life in the world to come. May all of us here live with that eternal future as our hope. And as we do, in the midst of our struggles and our suffering, may we remember this future hope then that is presented to us in God's Word. That Christ's church will emerge victorious when God's judgment comes. Oh, brothers and sisters, we will emerge victorious when God's judgment comes. Now, when we think of God's judgment, if you're like me, we rightly mourn and grieve what is to come. The wrath of God is awesome. And to think of all that will suffer under the eternal torment of God can be overwhelming. Yet it's also through God's judgment that Christ will fully establish his kingdom and his church will emerge victorious. That's why Grant Osborne rightly says that for us the idea of judgment is at best a somber and sorrowful thought but the perspective of Revelation is quite different. In the visionary world of this book, it signifies the justice of God and the vindication of the saints. Thus, the appearance of the angels with the seven last plagues is special because the wrath of God is complete, and at that event, the glory of God will also be complete. The appearance of the angels is a great and wondrous sign because it signifies the onset of the final reign of God. So, as we live through this age, we struggle and suffer. Which is why we saw in Revelation chapter 6, when the fifth seal was opened, that martyrs who were killed for their faith in Christ through this age were praying, How long, O Lord? holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. And if you remember what happened next, a white robe was given to each of them. And it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. But at the end of this age, John shows us the day when their wait is finally over. And they are standing victorious on the sea of glass mingled with fire as the wrath of God will be complete to these seven last plagues. It's these saints then who are holding harps of God like the angels of heaven. And they are singing not their own faithfulness to God. They're singing 
not their perseverance through persecution and temptation and tribulation. They're not singing their good works in life or their commitment to Christ in death. Because it's not through anything we do or we achieve that we will emerge victorious. But they are singing God's praises for who He is and what He has done. Because it's only through Christ our Lamb that we will be victorious. They are victorious in the Lamb who has redeemed them and will restore them to God's kingdom, which will be purified through God's judgment. So may all of us join in this worship as we look forward to the victory that we have in Christ. You know, may, we, we may be inspired by the wars of human history, when an army overcomes great odds and emerges victorious. But we have a far greater inspiration in Christ who has already secured our victory through his death on the cross and who will send his angels to judge our enemies and restore judge, or justice at the end of this age. Let us then look to him in faith until God's judgment comes and persevere through all of the struggles and the suffering that we will face in this world. It is in Christ that we will be victorious. May we then look forward to that time when Christ emerges victorious, when God's judgment comes. Let us pray. Father, what hope you have revealed to us in Christ through your word. Oh, Father, when the odds against us seem impossible. May we be reminded that Christ Church will be victorious when we emerge victorious. When your judgment comes at the end of the age. May this then continue to be our hope through all of the temptations and the trials and the troubles and the tribulation of this world. Because all these things are temporary. But our life with you is eternal. Father, may this future in Christ both give us confidence and comfort. This week, this year, and however long you give us life in this world. 
Uh, we pray then for all these things in the name of our precious Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.